Welcome in to the Designated for Assignment podcast. Rob Wong, Josh Goldberg with you. As always, get us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod, at Rob Wong 34, and at J Goldberg 12. The Blue Jays about to begin a crucial four game series on the road at the Trop, the House of Horrors against the Rays. We will talk about that series, of course, talk about everything we've seen over the last few days as the Blue Jays continue to play pretty good ball. But Josh, before uh, we get to all of that, some breaking news via manager John Schneider. I don't even call him interim manager anymore because I think of him as the manager of this team. But Schneider saying to reporters prior to the game uh, that the Blue Jays are in uh, TBA mode with their rotation for uh, Friday with Alec Minot going on Saturday, Ross Stripling going on Sunday. Uh, that means Manoa will get an extra day of rest before his next two outings and will line him up for the series finale, game 162. And uh, Schneider dropping a bit of a bomb here saying that if home field advantage in the wild card round is on the line in the final game of the season against the Orioles, the Jays are going to use Alec Manoa, even if that means he misses the wild card round. So I think uh, a lot of people have been wondering, you know, what happens if the Blue Jays get into that spot? Still on the table, of course, with just a, a two-game lead on both uh, the Rays and the Mariners, of course. I think, what is it, two and a half on the M's? But still, uh, Judge Schneider saying that uh, Manoa may not pitch in the wild card round if it means the Blue Jays get that home gate money. Well, I, I, I do sort of get where he's coming from um, a little bit with it. Like, I, I suppose I see, you know, why home field advantage would be so important, especially to a young ball club like this, that most of these guys have limited or no playoff experience in some cases. So you want that backing with all three games at home. But that's a decision. Like, let's say it does come to fruition and, and you need to win that game and you get it and you get home field advantage. And then you lose in the wild card round and you don't have Alec Manoa handy. That is the type of decision that's going to be second guessed and, and uh, magnified and in, in, you know, just, I could live in infamy when it comes to the blue Jays for years to come. So I wouldn't do it uh, in all honesty. Like I, I need Alec Manoa pitching in the playoffs and you're, there's no guarantee you're going to see the division series. You can't have, arguably your best pitcher not pitch really in the environment that it feels like he was born to pitch in like we've seen enough of him now to realize that he is a big game guy he elevates in you know the the situations where other pitchers might crumble where the decibels rise a little bit and the hairs on the back of your neck are standing up he doesn't shy away from that you know he really thrives on it and to say oh well and we really want to get home field advantage and we have enough confidence in Ross Stripling and Jose Barrios. Uh, that's not ideal to me. We saw what happened with Stripling uh, against the Phillies. You know, I know he's been great, but still that's not somebody that I feel like you can just pencil in for a great start in the playoffs. I think realistically, if he gives you five in the playoffs, you're absolutely thrilled with that considering how liberal uh, teams are using their bullpens and just his struggles generally third time through the order. And then Barrios is, we've talked about this all season, he's the Forrest Gump of pitchers, right? You just, you never know what you're going to get. So I, I would not do it. I just would not do it. I, I think it's trying to get too cute in all honesty. I just, I, I understand the lens through which he's, Schneider's looking at it and the Jays are looking at it. But again, I just think it's too cute. And the, the blow up potential is just way too high for the, the possible payoff of it actually working out. I just wonder as well, too, like this isn't, uh, you know, say hockey 
or basketball or even football where, you know, teams generally win a lot more at home. And, you know, you look at the Blue Jays record this year, they're 43 and 32 at home and they're 41 and 33 away from home. Like, obviously, you know, there are other teams that have, you know, larger splits than that, where they're great at home and uh, really terrible on the road. But in baseball, it doesn't really make that much of a difference, especially in a three-game series. Like, it's awesome, you know, to see the home crowd, and we all remember remember what it's like to have playoff baseball at the Rogers Center and the, you know, impact a crowd um, can have. But, like, you know, I, I remember 2015, Blue Jays had home field advantage. They had to win two games on the road in Texas. Uh, I mean, they lost the first two games uh, against the Rangers. Home field advantage didn't matter very much in the 2016 ALCS when Ryan Merritt was shoving it down your throat. Like, you know, I think we'd all love to see them get home field advantage. I just wonder, like, how much of an impact does it, you know, really have? Whereas having Alec Manoa pitch in a wild card game over Jose Barrios or Ross Stripling matters that much more. Yeah, I guess. It, it, it just, you, you just, I, like, I, I'm honestly dumbfounded by it. Like, it's honestly, I, we were, I'm sure we were going to get to it. We are going to get to it. It rivals the we liked Simber over Bass it, with the ghost runner decision from Wednesday night against the Phillies. This is, this is to me, more um, of a head scratcher. But, like, it, it just, like I said, it, it just feels like you're really trying too hard to, um you know, just make manufacture something here that shouldn't be the case. Like I'm all for not necessarily starting Gosman and Manoa back to back in games one and two of the wildcard series. Like if you want one of them for game three and you feel confident, depending on who you end up seeing in the playoffs in that three game series in a stripling or Barrios in game two, I'm okay with that. But to say one of these guys isn't going to pitch, um, you know, altogether, that is a bridge too far for me. And like, if you're fancy yourself a really good ball club that can contend for a world series and win a world series, I understand it's preferable to have the three games at home, but you should feel as though, well, if we line up our best guys in the rotation, we put forth, if we're healthy, the best configuration in the lineup as well, who gives a shit if it's on the, on the road or at home? Yeah, you'd prefer it. But if you think you're that good, then you should be able to win a road series, even in the playoffs. Like, and, and to me, you take that bet, you roll with that with your best possible guys, as opposed to just being like, well, you know, we need that home field advantage, even if it means we're not going to be able to field our most competitive lineup in the most important games of the season. No, I know you tweeted about it today about how shitty the blue Jays have been at the trop yes. uh, for a long time. <laughs> I don't want to say the Blue Jays are buying into it, but like, is it even possible that they're buying into it? That they're like, we are so bad historically. Like our guys just have not enjoyed playing on the road at Tampa. If it comes to that, I mean, they still might have to go on the road to Seattle and we know the environment there could, you know, work in their favor, at least if uh, Canadian fans are able to travel down there. Um, but like, do you think that's even crossed their minds that it's like, you know, we just were there a couple of years ago and we got our faces kicked in uh, by the Rays in that uh, wacky 2020 uh, wild card series. Like maybe they would just rather be at home. And like you said, kind of take a lot of the, um, you know, variables out of it that, you know, guys can sleep in their own bed. You've got a lot of, you know, young guys here that, you know, maybe you just want to put them in the best environment possible where they just feel 
uh, more comfortable rather than, you know, sleeping on the road or having to deal with all that stuff on the road, which I mean, in the other circumstance could work in their, their advantage. I mean, you're just a bunch of, you know, young guys that don't know any better. You play it in Toronto, you play it in Tampa, you play it on the moon. Like you're just not even thinking about it. Like, I, I, I really hope that that's not a, a motivating factor in the thought process here. Does anyone like playing at Tropicana Field? Probably not. It's a, it's a cavernous dump. It's not great. And the Jays, you, you mentioned, I tweeted it out. And you have to take this with a grain of salt because this is all time since the Rays came into the MLB as uh, expansion team or whatever in, what was it, 1997 or 1998? whatever it was, the Jays are 85 and 133 at Tropicana field, which is good for uh, a 390 winning percentage, which is obviously horrible. And you'll say, Oh, well, you know, when they were the devil rays, they probably did better. They were really bad in the 2010s. They haven't been good in the 2020s either since the 2020 season started 2020 season. They're nine and 14 in the regular season. And like you said, they got their tits lit in the two playoff games. So they're nine and 16. That stinks also. So maybe it is as simple as, oh, well, there's a pretty decent chance with the way Seattle's playing right now that it's going to be us and the Rays at one way or the other. And we just really want it to be three games at Rogers Center as opposed to three games at Tropicana Field, which is entirely possible. But if that's the case, that's not a, a ringing endorsement for what you think about your team, uh, that you're just like so petrified by uh it's an inanimate object. It's a fucking stadium. I understand <laughs> it's got weird lights and the stupid catwalk and all of that. I understand this. I, I'm not, it's not lost on me. Nobody enjoys watching games on TV involving the trop. It's an abomination, honestly, uh, in, in terms of just architecture. But if that's the reason, if that actually is the reason, it's just like, well, we'd, if it was Seattle, oh yeah, we'd take Seattle because it's Roger Center West. Why would we care to play, um, you know, three games in Seattle? We basically have a glorified home field advantage, but you're saying, oh, well, we just don't like our chances against the Rays at Tropicana Field. You know, history says you're probably right to do so, but I just don't think that sends a good message to your fans. I don't really think it sends that great of a message to your team. Just saying, yeah, like I know that the guys want to play at home, but they probably want to have Alec Manoa pitching in the playoffs. If the difference between, um, you know, is home field or Alec Manoa, you survey most of the guys in that clubhouse, and they're probably going to tell you that they'd rather have Alec Manoa pitching in the playoffs if it meant playing three games at Tropicana Field. So that's where I'm at with it. I, I think it's just a little bit too galaxy brained for me. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully they uh, won't come to that, uh, but we'll find out in a couple of weeks time here as the season progresses and, and wraps up. But, you know, when we look at these potential opponents, like I look, I, I think the Jays are making the playoffs, like sorry, Baltimore, but the clock has struck 12. Like I know they you know, are winning some games here and there, but you know, the, what they would have to do to uh, at least catch the Jays would be pretty tough. In a lot of scenarios, it would have to be a pretty epic collapse by the blue Jays and a pretty strong run here by the Orioles to get into uh, the postseason. So I'm, you know, basically locking in the Jays for uh, a playoff game or a playoff series at this point. Um, but when you look at the three potential opponents, let's say it's uh, the guardians, let's say it's the Rays and the Mariners, how do you rank it? Like what's the best case scenario? And what do you think is the worst case scenario? Cause I put it out on Twitter. 
I honestly think playing the Rays is my personal best case scenario, Good whether it's up. at home or whether it's on the road, mm-hmm. as even though we just completely talked about how much of a, a shit show uh, Tropicana Field uh, has been and could be. But I look at their team and I go, yeah, their pitching is scary as fuck. Like, that's obvious. But, you know, their offense doesn't scare me. Like, I know Yandy Diaz is, like, one of the better hitters in baseball this year. And, sure, Wander Franco could turn things up. Randy Rosarena is always a scary guy. But outside of that, like, am I worried about Manuel Margot or Christian Bethencourt or G-Man Choi? Like, yeah, sure, these guys could run into one. But that just hasn't been the case this year. They are a league average offense that occasionally from time to time, you know, can put up some runs. But you know, I'd rather face that than the Mariners who have one of the best players in the league and Julio Rodriguez, you know, they're a little banged up too right now. Like Eugenio Suarez, like who knows what his availability is going to be, you know, fractured that finger, but they've got some scary dudes there. Like Carlos Santana's batting like a buck 75, but he's hit like a 13 bombs in the second half, hit a couple of big ones against the Blue Jays. Like that guy can still run into one. I know Jesse Winker and Mitch Hanniger and some of these other guys or, you know, Ty France have been playing poorly, but those guys are good hitters and I've seen them, you know, do well in the past. And at any point, those guys can, you know, run into one. Cal Raleigh is another guy, like he's a little banged up right now, but that guy can run into some bombs. Like I'd rather have the Rays, you know, kill me by a thousand cuts similar to the guardians than you know, uh, let's say Kevin Gossman, you know, walks a couple of guys or hits a guy or gives up some shitty bloop singles. And then Cal Raleigh steps up there and sends a shitty splitter into the 200 level. Like I'd rather not see that. So um, I've sort of discounted the Mariners as a team I want to see because the rotation's scary. Their bullpen is probably the scariest out of all of the teams that the Blue Jays could face. And I've don't want to face Cleveland either because, you know, they are very similar to 2015 Kansas city, you know, death by a thousand cuts. They put the ball in play. We saw what they did against the Jays earlier this year. Bieber and McKenzie don't want to deal with those guys. Class a their bullpen also don't want to deal with that. The race is Weird as it is to say, I would rather play the Rays out of any of those three teams. Yeah, I'm with you. I, 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 I had said earlier in the season that I didn't think that the Rays were good. And they, you know, like always, they have just found a way to win a lot of games like every year. Their, their motto should just be, we are more than the sum of our parts. Lots, Lau has been hurt all season. Franco's missed a bunch of time. And, you know, they've got Isak Paredes, who's I, maybe at 20 home runs or, or very close coming out of nowhere. You know, lots of guys. Harold Ramirez has had a good year, former Blue Jays uh, farmhand. It doesn't really compute in my brain how this team with the devoid of talent for the most part gets it done. You know, they have McClanahan's status is a real wild card with the shoulder and now the neck. I know he's really been good against the Jays this year, but still... Um, you know, I'm not that scared off, even if it means a difficult game, like they've had some success against Drew Rasmussen. I know Jeffrey Springs is really good, but still I'm much more open-minded to the possibility of that pitching situation than taking on Logan Gilbert and Robbie Ray and Luis Castillo, or, you know, Cleveland's got two horses and then it's a real question mark beyond those two. So maybe, you know, they're, they're, they're probably second, I would say. I don't think they're a good matchup either. Like you said, they put tons of balls in play and their bullpen, you know, even beyond Karinchak and Class A, they have guys who can get outs in, in a multitude of spots and can get strikeouts. 
so it is the Rays. It's not like I'm saying, oh yeah, it's some cakewalk that the Jays should mop the floor with the Rays in that three-game playoff series, regardless of where they play. I don't think it will be easy, but if I had to choose... Everyone's saying, oh, well, you should tank for the third wild card spot. Get the get the Guardians. Guardians are a good matchup. Be careful for what you wish for situation. Guardians kicked the Jays' ass this year. And I don't think that's some, oh, well, you know, the Jays just weren't playing great. They weren't at both of those particular junctures of the season. But the Guardians are designed, I think, to prey on the weaknesses of the Blue Jays. The Rays, I think, to an extent are as well. But I think that the Jays have you know, more what it takes, I think, to really be able to beat the Rays and their lack of talent than I do uh, Cleveland. I just think Cleveland to me has something, there's something going on there. I I don't want to see Cleveland. If I'm any team in the playoffs, I do not want to see them. It just feels like everyone counted them out this year. They were expected to finish, you know, third, fourth in the division. You know, I would be not flabbergasted if they end up making it at least to the league championship series and who knows, you know, they go on a run, maybe they make it to the world series. Yeah. As I said, I think they're very reminiscent of 2015 Kansas city. Like the team, everybody was like, like how the hell is this team in the world series? How are they winning this world series? But they found a way cause they are just so pesky. The bullpen was uh, lights out. Now I think this uh, version of the guardians has much better starting pitching than that uh, Royals team did back in the day. But uh, the pitching was good enough in 2015, obviously to uh, win it all. But you know, it's not as if uh, the Blue Jays are, you know, some sort of pushover. Like, I don't think any of these teams want to face the Blue Jays. Like, that's pretty obvious um, with the way their offense is going and the way their pitching can be. They're going to be a scary opponent. Um, but even, you know, any of these series, I'm not saying, like, I think the Rays will be a pushover uh, or the Mariners will be a pushover or Cleveland will be a pushover. Like, you know, it'll be interesting to see the betting lines, I think, you know, for whatever series the Blue Jays get, even if it is at home, like at the, you know, at the absolute top, like, you know, what would you put the Blue Jays chances in any of us in a series against any of these teams, right? Like 55, 45, like it's pretty close to a coin flip. Like I wouldn't say the Blue Jays, um, you know, are beating Tampa Bay or beating the Mariners or beating Cleveland, like 60% of the time, if they played it like a hundred times, like, I think these teams are relatively close despite, you know, maybe what the records say. Uh, but you know what, that's what happens at this point of the season. Uh, yes. when you get into playoffs, you're playing good teams. Like you're not playing uh, shitty squads anymore. Like all of these teams are very, very talented and offer up uh, a lot of issues for any of their opponents. Yeah. It's almost a coin flip proposition. And you know, that kind of circles back to, the conversation we had about the home field advantage and, and losing Manoa, if it means home field, maybe that's part of the thought process too, is while well, you're basically into a 50, 50 coin flip situation in the playoffs. And if we have home field advantage, maybe it goes to like 52, 48 or 55, 45 or something like that. And maybe that's trying to inform the decision-making process as well. But I would argue Manoa, even without home field advantage might swing the pendulum for you with just his ability. So again, that just circles back to don't, don't do that and ensure you have Manoa for the playoffs. But yeah, like I, I think this whole thought of, well, you know, the Mariners don't want to see the Astros right away. Maybe that's figuring out the way that they're playing right now. They're trying to figure out their seating so they don't have to see the Astros. I don't think teams really at the end of the day are taking into consideration 
who they might play or who is a better fit for them um, in a short playoff series versus not like they want to get in. They want to be playing their best baseball as, as, as they can be at, as we get to the first week of October. And then you take your chances. Like, I, I don't think that any sort of, machinations are really going to make that much of a difference in the playoffs. You could honestly be playing red hot baseball or freezing cold baseball. And then that calendar flips to the postseason. the stats start anew. And then all of a sudden you could start playing better. You could start playing worse. You know, sometimes strange things happen in postseason baseball break here, a bounce there, an injury, some bad injury luck for a particular team. And on the other side, some good injury luck, and it flips the pendulum of a playoffs, a playoff series. There's no amount of planning or thought or banging your head against the wall over every possible scenario uh, that's going to change that. And I, I think, you know, losing a ton of sleep over, you know, how the playoffs are, are going to be lined up and, and, you know, where you're going to start or who you're going to play. Yeah, sure. You it's, it's fun to talk about, but I think at the end of the day, you, you just line it up, you take your chances you see what happens and like, is your, is your club good enough uh, to win three games or two games rather against any of these three teams? And I feel as though the answer is yes. And you know, now you got to go out there and do it. That's, that's really it. Yeah. It's uh, not going to be an easy path either way, no matter what position they fall into. Uh, this is what happens when you don't uh, win your division and you got to go through the gauntlets of the uh, wild card series and makes things just a little bit more Challenging. All right, we got an update uh, on Anthony Bass from manager John Schneider saying that uh, he's fine and is uh, ready to go. He will likely appear tonight in the uh, game between the Rays and the Blue Jays, the first of four at Tropicana Field. So as far as just from what I've seen, uh, I didn't see Schneider really maybe go into too much detail about what was going on there with Anthony Bass, but he hasn't pitched in almost a week, did not uh, even warm up in the series finale against the Phillies. Maybe there was just like a minor ailment and, you know, there's no need for Schneider and company to come out and say like, Hey, there was something going on here. Um, but it's just been kind of odd that uh, we haven't seen this guy who's been, you know, lights out since coming to the blue Jays, but I guess it's uh, comforting at least to know that uh, at least for this game, he's uh, going to be a okay. And we might even see him pitch, which would be good. Yeah. I was definitely befuddled I would say when I didn't see him come out at any point during that ball game against the Phillies and especially in the extra inning you know going Adam Simber because you like the matchup better Adam Simber unless you're deep into extra innings should just not be pitching with the ghost runner rule it's just I understand that you know you can get ground balls and that's sort of some soft contact you want strikeouts in that situation and that's why you know since that rule came into existence a couple of years ago the Jays have struggled because they haven't been able to get those easy outs to take pressure off and be able to extend the ball game or anything of that sort. So it's definitely encouraging um, that he hasn't uh, got anything going on. There wasn't anything that more than meets the eye. It does really make me wonder, you know, what the decision-making, what the stats indicate, why Simber over Bass. Like I know Bass has some, some issues against left-handed batters and is really good against righties and not amazing against lefties, which is something to keep an eye on, certainly in the playoffs and certain matchups, you know, he's going to probably have to see some left-handed batters. We'll see how he does in that situation. But all of a sudden, after we were talking about how um, 
encouraging the bullpen was, you know, Jimmy Garcia has given up runs in three straight outings. Romano's blown saves in back-to-back appearances for the first time in his career. You know, Bass, who knows what's going on there. Julian Merriweather inflated the bullpen ERA by like a couple runs in September with his third of an outing. They got to get that righted in a, in a real hurry because the last thing you want going into the playoffs is uncertainty in your bullpen. Because if you have any sort of uncertainty in your bullpen and you look at a game like last night, you're going to have to, those are the games you got to win in the playoffs, three run lead, multiple run lead in the eighth inning or later, you know, it's just, they got to, they got to get that shit together. Otherwise it is going to probably be a short postseason journey, regardless of who they play or where they play. Yeah, it's uh, a little concerning to see the way the bullpen has gone. Like you said, the last little bit here uh, with Jimmy Garcia has been lights out. Same with Jordan Romano. Um, you know, just unfortunate that both of their struggles have coincided together uh, in a lot of the recent games that they've pitched in. But uh, maybe now that Anthony Bass is back for whatever reason, uh, he'll be able to take a little bit of the load off of those guys to be able to get the bullpen uh, righted. But uh, long term, I'm still not too concerned uh, about the pen. Just uh, hopefully everybody's healthy and uh, rested as they get into the postseason. So we uh, flip things to the offense now and, you know, good signs from a bunch of these guys. I mean, Matt Chapman uh, has been heating up. You and I went to a game last week, got to see Matt Chapman hit a couple of bombs. Uh, our buddy Mark Boffa was with us there and uh, he was like, got a good feeling about Chapman tonight here, guys. I think he had him in his fantasy team. So he was more uh, praying that uh, things would work out. He said, I think Chapman's going to hit a bomb. And he literally hit a bomb like uh, a couple of minutes later. And then obviously Chapman would go deep uh, later again, had a big homer in Philadelphia. You know, we talk about the key guys to this offense, Vladdy Bo, obviously right at the top of the list. George Springer looks like he's coming around too. But if Matt Chapman can, you know, just do what he's been doing all season long, really, uh, you know, since his uh, early season struggles, this offense could really, really take off. Like, you know, we say it all the time, you know, getting contributions from the bottom of the lineup is great, but you know, that top five of George Springer, Vladdy, Bo, Kirk, and Chapman, you want to throw Tay Oscar into that mix, that first five and six. If all those guys are clicking, you know, we talk about how far this team can go. Uh, my goodness, that's uh, pretty scary. Um, you know, what this offense could potentially do come October. Well, I saw a stat on the broadcast of that Phillies game that I think since the 4th or 5th of June, you know, Matt Chapman has the highest OPS on the Blue Jays. He was... We were, let's not sugarcoat it. He was real, real bad for the first two months of the season. Maybe it was just acclimating to a new situation, new ballparks, new division. He was a linchpin in Oakland and traded and, you know, really late in the going, kind of close to the start of the season, the lockout ended. I'm willing to give him a bit of a mulligan uh, on that. And he was one of your, well, his expected numbers were good. He just wasn't getting anything out of them. And you're just thinking, well, it's going to come. It's going to come. You know, he's not chasing a ton when he does make contact. It's super hard. And then lo and behold, he's had a couple of real scorchers and is probably uh, a strong bet to hit 30 home runs. And he's having one of the better offensive seasons uh, of his career. So, you know, he's the type of hitter who is certainly capable of carrying you for a couple of weeks. This has been the thing with the Blue Jays all year. It's just like, well, you know, Vladdy had a hot streak and, you know, Tay Oscar's had some moments. Lourdes was really hot for a while. We've talked about Bo in September. Chapman, you know, in July out of the All-Star break, insane numbers. It just doesn't feel like anything has gone 
at the same time, it's like, you know, Bo's cooled off a tiny bit, Chapman's heated up. It'd be great if two or three of these guys could really go supernova at the same time, because that's the kind of thing that you see propelling teams deep into October and, and winning the World Series. You can't have, you know, you look in a playoff series, you can't have, if it's three games, you can't have two or three guys, you know, going two for 12 or something like that. You're going to need contributions up and down. And, you know, it's encouraging to see Chapman right now doing his thing, no question. And he's, only, I think, only played two playoff games uh, in his career, but he is absolutely the type of player who you're going to be happy is on your side in a postseason situation. We saw the defensive, you know, we see it all year, but we saw it in that Phillies game, just the routine uh, ways he makes really difficult plays look. It's just a, an incredible skill. And I do think that, you know, his ability to see a lot of pitches, whether it ends with a walk, a hit or a strikeout, his ability to at least battle and grind and allow his teammates to see what a pitcher is working with in a particular game. That's a really important skill set to have in the postseason. And I think he is going to be a real important piece of the puzzle uh, for as far as the Blue Jays want to go this year. So we'll see when Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is able to, you know, return to the Blue Jays lineup. He, of course, is down uh, in Dunedin working out at the complex, uh, according to Shai Davidi. Uh, says uh, that uh, no running yet, but uh, doing other baseball activities will be reevaluated in the uh, coming days. The Blue Jays, uh, meanwhile, also awaiting MRI results on Santiago Espinal, which uh, <laughs> not great. Uh, was it left side tightness, I think, oh. which uh, basically is oblique. Uh, uh, you know, plainly putting it, which uh, not great, obviously, at this time of the year, if that is the injury is going to be uh, missing significant time, you would think. But, you know, you look at some of the other options that the Blue Jays might go with here come their playoff roster. And one guy we got to talk about, I mean, if Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is back or maybe not 100 percent, he obviously is someone that needs to be on the roster. He is a guy that you can slot in there for a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. The way he was swinging it at times this year, we know what he can do defensively. But Rymel Tapia continues to win people over and it's wild because I just looked at his numbers. His August was horrendous. He had a WRC plus of eight. Uh, that is not a typo, eight. And then uh, so far here in September, he's been league average at 100, but he's come up with some massive, massive hits. And, you know, I don't think uh, Rymel Tapia is, you know, clutch or anything. But as we always talk about, he just adds a different dynamic. He can put, you know, bad swings on balls and somehow they find their way into the outfield. He obviously can run the bases. He's looked okay uh, defensively. He's made some really nice catches um, over the last couple of weeks. But, you know, is he a guy you think in a certain matchup, maybe if it's a right-hander on the hill, like, do you start Rymel Tapia in a wild card series? Like, let's say you're going up against the Mariners uh, and game number two, season on the line, you're somehow playing Rymel Tapia against Logan Gilbert over Lourdes Goriel Jr. if he's healthy. Like, is that something we might actually see? I don't think so. I, I, I can't see it. I, I understand that, you know, like Tapia has had, he's had a bunch of notable moments. He hasn't had that many huge, great moments this year. You know, his numbers are not good, but he's had some stretches where he's hit the ball hard and had some good at bats and, and come up in big spots. You know, he cleared the bases with a double um, against the Orioles. He's you know, had the sack fly after battling. I think it was against the Red Sox in the early part of the season. I do think that there is a world 
and, and it could be this one that we're currently uh, living in where Rymel Tapia has like legit postseason moments. I, I think to Ezekiel Carrera in 2016, he had, he was good. He had over 300 uh, in that run to the ALCS. I'm not saying it's going to be that, but Rymel Tapia is the type of scrappy hitter. I know that he's probably struck out more than anticipated this year. That wasn't really his calling card and hasn't made as much contact, I think, as uh, a lot of people were probably expecting. But I think that his skill set is such where he could find himself in the thick of things in a pinch hit situation or in a start. You know, we'll see what happens with Lourdes, how healthy he is. And he delivers because it just, he strikes me as that type of player. It's just a gut feeling that I have. There's not a lot of sample size of good, positive stuff that should really be pulling me in that direction. But I just have this, this nagging suspicion that Rymel Tapia is going to matter <laughs> some in the playoffs. And people are probably going to be like, oh, if that is the case, that doesn't mean anything good. But I just have a feeling about Tapia. Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of feel similar to you, right? Because they have seen him come up with a lot of big hits in a lot of big moments this year. There is sort of that uh, comfort that when you see him come up to the plate with, you know, runners in scoring position or the base is loaded, you're thinking something good's going to happen here. I don't know why I feel that way, but just because historically some of the big moments he's come up uh, in this year that you just have some positive vibes that he's uh, going to come through. But uh, pretty wild to say that uh, Rymel Tapia might actually have some big moments for this team in the postseason. Imagine telling someone that back in, you know, April and May when they wanted Tapia DFA, they wanted Bradley Zimmer DFA. And both of those guys are probably going to make the playoff roster. They're going to be on this team uh, because they serve a purpose. Um, and, you know, they're not the flashiest guys. They're not the best players by any means, but uh, you just need all hands on deck uh, come playoff time. And uh, we might see them actually play some very important roles. Okay, it is time to get to listener questions. As always, you can hit us up on Twitter at DFA underscore pod at Rob Wong 34 and at Jay Goldberg 12. This week we asked, how do you feel about the Blue Jays chances to get that top wildcard spot? Robbie says, if the Jays find a way to keep Seattle behind them, I think it's wraps for home field. Tampa has a tough schedule and the Jays are still rolling despite the recent uh, blown saves. Sebastian, home field advantage against any wildcard team uh, would be his priority. If not, then hopefully we match against Tampa or Cleveland. He wants no part of Seattle and uh, raise pants, uh, but that doesn't mean they won't be in a peak uh, position when the playoffs come. Blue Jays do Maine depends on the results of the Tampa series this weekend, but he's pretty confident. And our, our buddy road guy says, I feel really good about it. Rob and Josh, that the blue Jays are going to get the uh, top wild card spot. So it does feel like there's a lot of optimism out there. My God, it would have been great if the blue Jays held on for that win over the Phillies, the lead over the Rays and Mariners just would have been so much more comfortable. Um, as we are recording this, the uh, Mariners and athletics are currently tied in their series finale, but I want to begin there. Like the Mariners have just completely shit the bed here, um, getting beat up by Oakland and the Angels in a couple of series here. Like they've just had a great chance to really cement their spot. Still, you know, a couple of weeks left here, and they've got some cup cupcake matchups facing these shitty teams in the AL West. But I got to say, like they, uh, outside of Julio Rodriguez right now, uh, you know, they obviously still have some scary bats there, but I don't know what's going on with Seattle. Tampa is still the team, 
you know, obviously this four game series is going to potentially do a lot. Um, if the Blue Jays can split it and leave with a split, that's great. Tampa would still hold the tiebreaker if they can catch up to the Blue Jays. But you win three of four against Tampa this week. And I think you feel pretty good about your chances maybe to, you know, hang on to that top spot the rest of the way. Yeah, I think you take three out of four and barring like we're seeing what happens what's happening with Seattle. You never know what can go down, go on in baseball. You could give all that back. But barring something unforeseen and a bit of a catastrophic collapse, you'd be in the firm driver's seat to end up hosting the wild card game. And, you know, it's bizarre. Seattle's just such a weird team. They run so hot and they run so cold offensively. They've never really looked to me as a great offensive team. They're a streaky offensive team that really, I think, you know, is reliant on home runs to do a lot of their bidding in terms of run scoring. They just haven't been doing much of that. You know, J-Rod's hurt, left, I believe, the game again with back tightness. He's missed some time with a back issue. That's not what you want coming into the postseason. That's just not uh, ideal at all. And the Suarez injury you mentioned, also not um, tremendous. But, you know, maybe they're feeling the pressure of, well, it's the first opportunity really to make the playoffs in 21 years, the longest postseason drought in I believe North American professional sports and certainly in major league baseball so that might be part of it like they're going to make it I would think you know they're still four clear of the Orioles barring again something continuing on this path of just um, disaster that they find themselves on but you know like the Jays right now have to like their position yeah did they uh, lose an opportunity to gain a valuable game on Tampa and Seattle with that loss to the Phillies. Absolutely. But they're still going to need one of those teams to really go on a bit of a, a nice run here. And if you play about 500 baseball, give or take, you're going to require one of those teams to really, you know, go out and take it. And I just haven't seen much. Both those teams are struggling. Tampa Bay can't score right now. They just got swept by Houston and Seattle. We talked about, um, I don't see either of those teams right now really having that kind of run over 15 games uh, in them. All right. So we haven't talked at all about the division, uh, the AL East, of course, the Blue Jays did get it down to four and a half games uh, at one point. Uh, God, if uh, the, <laughs> Will Crow with one of the worst outings I think I've seen all season of any pitcher. Um, just hilarious. Uh, what is this great grand uncle used to, he's like a Yankees legend. And then they showed him on the broadcast, like checking out monument uh, park and he's with his family and he's all smiles. And then he goes into the game and absolutely shits the bed, uh, gives up 60 to uh, Aaron judge and then gives up the grand slam to Giancarlo Stanton. Like it was just kind of comical about how that all went down for him. Like pitching at Yankee stadium for the first time as a major league leaguer got family and friends watching and he was just uh, horrendous um, but six and a half game lead for the Yankees right now not a lot of games left to play um, the Blue Jays obviously in tough here going on the road to Tampa the Yankees will be hosting the uh, Red Sox this weekend uh, for four games you know always a chance at a bit of fuckery when uh, the Red Sox and the Yankees get together despite all the records I mean anything can kind of happen Six and a half. It's a lot of games. You know, the Jays getting ready to host the Yankees on uh, Monday of next week. But, you know, is that even something that crosses your mind anymore? Like, we're not all the way there, but like the AL East, have you kind of just put that out of your memory or out of your mind that uh, the Yankees have basically uh, locked it up with these uh, last couple of days? Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not looking at it, to be honest. It's, you know, the, the priority is obviously clinching a playoff spot, which 
to me is a formality really more than anything at this point. I think the magic number is eight. It, it's going to happen. It's just, it's just one of those things. It's a question of when, and you want, you want the top wild card spot. I'm not, you know, we, we talked about it earlier. I want home field advantage, but I just don't want it to come at the expense of Alec Manoa pitching, starting a ball game in the wild card series, but I do want it. So that's the priority right now is locking up that first wild card spot. Ideally, obviously before game 162. So this doomsday scenario, at least in my mind, doesn't end up coming uh, to fruition. But yeah, the division's not really, what is it? Six and a half now? Six and a half. Yeah. yeah curtains. Even if you sweep <laughs> them, that, that means, you know, you, you like, let's say you cut a game between now and Monday, you're five and a half back. Then you're sweeping them. You're two and a half back with, I don't know exactly how many it is. It's not a, it's not, I, what is it? I think it would be six games left in the season. Mm-hmm. That's you're, we're talking borderline miracle. They had a glimmer of hope. And then, you know, the, the Yankees kind of found it again. They were fortunate to play the pirates and now it's six and a half. I think it's a wrap and uh, I'm not going to lose any sleep over trying to figure out all the permutations of the ways that the Jays could win the division. I, I don't think it's happened. Yeah, I think, you know, basically it would take just a massive, massive collapse from the Yankees here over the final couple of weeks for that to even be a possibility. And like you said, the Blue Jays would have to take all three against the Yankees at home next week. And we just know how difficult it is to uh, sweep any team uh, in any given series, let alone a team like the Yankees, uh, who have one extraordinary player right now uh, in Aaron Judge. But uh, yeah, it's uh, all about just making the playoffs, making a wild card. And like I said, off the top, I mean, I feel pretty confident about it. Uh, It's not like last year where you were sort of looking back at the schedule and counting every single moment and all of the lost games, whether it was a Tyler Chatwood or Travis Bergen or the, you know, infamous Marcus Semien throw to first base that wasn't made. Like, you know, you're not going to have that situation. I don't think this year where you're looking back and being like, oh God, if only the Blue Jays, you know, won that extra inning game uh, in Philadelphia. Oh, if only Teoscar Hernandez didn't line into a double play and the Blue Jays held on for that win or if Jordan Romano you know doesn't blow the save at home against the Orioles like I don't think we're in that situation which is uh, good so uh, the Blue Jays obviously getting ready for the uh, postseason with a nice little uh, run here uh, hopefully in the cards Uh, let's get to our Teoscars for player of the week and uh, we got a bunch of hitters here and uh, one relief pitcher First off, I mean, got to give Tim Mays a shout shout out for his uh, impressive performance of late and uh, that really good outing against the Phillies. Got himself into a bit bit of trouble and then obviously got himself out of it with a couple of massive strikeouts. I mean, he still had some moments here or there, Josh, where maybe he hasn't looked completely, um, you know, locked in and like the same guy that we saw at times last year. Mm -hmm. But at least right now, it does seem like Tim Mays' you know, is finding that form that we saw a year ago. I mean, there's a lot of movement on the sinker, still working in that slider here and there. Just, uh, you know, if he can become that fourth guy, um, reliable guy out of the pen, that that will be huge. Yeah, definitely. He's still a situational guy, you know, split situation platoon against lefties, which is more challenging. We've talked about this in the postseason with the three out minimum, but he has more margin. He struck out Reese Hoskins in that ball game, who's a very dangerous right-handed power bat. And he did a really nice job. If he's able to routinely hit 94, 95 with that sink, he's going to be able to have success against right-handed batters and lefties say a prayer because with that level of movement and velo, 
it's going to be very difficult for any left-handed hitter to do much against Tim Mesa. So for me, it's really all about velo for him. And if he can sustain it, then I feel real good about the prospects of him being an impact uh, weapon. He's not my Tay Oscar for the week. I definitely think he deserves some honorable mention. So does Danny Jansen, my boy. Mm-hmm. He's been hot. He's been running hot lately. OPS over a thousand his last uh, seven, seven days, uh, five games, hit a home run. He's got three doubles. Before that, he had two doubles all season. Love to see it, making a lot of hard contact. But Matt Chapman's the guy. You know, he's hot right now. It's three home runs his last five games. Uh, OPS of 1,500. Yeah, he's got seven strikeouts. So he's walked four times. That's match. That's been full match Chapman experience. Home runs, walks, uh, strikeouts, good defense, good plate appearances. Really important, valuable player showing his worth uh, here for the better part of three months. And I think uh, a good finish is in store. And uh, I'm also uh, feeling a real strong postseason performance from Matt Chapman. Yeah, I'm going with Matt Chapman as well. You know, some other great nominations this week with George Springer, Danny Jansen, like you mentioned, you know, Vladdy hitting uh, some big homers and having some big hits as well uh, during this uh, hitting streak that he's on. But uh, Matt Chapman has just carried the torch the last little bit here. And I got, it's just so similar, right? To the role that Marcus Semien played on this team last year, albeit the Blue Jays didn't get into yeah. the playoffs, but a guy that just makes winning plays. I mean, you see even in the game, uh, the series finale against the Phillies, you know, draws a couple of walks and, you know, has that great play at third base where he dives to his left, gets up and throws to first. Like the guy just makes winning plays. It's why uh, he's having such a great season. And, you know, he's obviously going to be under contract for next year. You know, we've talked a bunch about, is he a guy that you look at extending? That's obviously not a conversation we need to have now, but uh, yeah, it was such a great trade uh, when they made it. And uh, it looks even better now with the season that he has had a big bounce back year after uh, maybe a tough couple of seasons for Matt Chapman out in Oakland. All right. So that'll do it for this edition of the designated for assignment podcast. But before we get out of here, Josh, uh, what's your prediction for the weekend? Four games in Tampa against the Rays. I say the Blue Jays will split. Are you being more optimistic or are you going to be pessimistic and say, yeah, we uh, tend to see the Blue Jays play like shit in uh, Tampa Bay and uh, maybe they're going to take three or four from uh, the Blue Jays. Uh, That's where where was my initial (laughs) lean was that they were going to lose three out of four. I, I feel like I'm always the pessimistic guy. So, you know, let's throw a curveball here. Now, let's say they take three out of four. I'm riding with the Jays. Like I've, been, I've been, you know, skeptical all season that they, you know, haven't figured it out and maybe we all overrated them. And now September has uh, happened and they've been great. So I'm, I'm riding. Let's go. Three out of four. They, they, they get it done and they put themselves in great position to uh, lock up that first wild card spot. Uh, well, game one should be fun at the very least. Our uh, buddy Ryan Yarbrough is going to be uh, coming out of the bullpen after uh, JT Chargois gets the uh, start as the opener. So buckle your seatbelts oh, and no. get ready to watch uh, 84 mile an hour cutters just befuddle the Blue Jays time and time again. That's, uh, that's just the way it goes with uh, old Ryan Yarbrough. But that'll do it for us. As always, you can get us on Twitter at the F underscore pod at Rob134 at Jay Goldberg12. For Josh, I'm Rob, and we'll talk to you in a week's time.